Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday School. My name is Jim Fleming. Got several new folks in the class today. Um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to grab your Bibles and open up there. I think the entire text of today's passage is, in, is on the handout. One of my goals as we've gone through this 100-week series, and no, I didn't misspeak. It's a 100-week series of 50 lessons in the Old Testament, 50 lessons in the New Testament, is to have a lot of different voices speak. Um, today will be the 10th voice that has spoken to our class in this series, and that was my goal, to have 10 different folks speak. Um, and I read a lot of different folks. Uh, Donald Miller is one of my favorite authors, just from a pleasure-reading perspective. His theology gets kind of wishy-washy at times, but he's a really good author. And um, he talks about telling your story and the value of telling your story and the importance not just for others to hear your story, but for you to tell your story. Uh, we've got a testimony this morning from uh, Justin Harness, and I'm looking forward to you guys listening to that around this text in 1 Timothy 6. So this five-week series that we're in, this is week two, is Paul writing letters to church leaders. And you got to remember, at this point in time, church is still brand new. Church has existed for 20 years, right? So there's no old church people, right? There's, no, there's nobody you can walk up to and go, hey, I've got a question about how to handle this biblically. Well, they were still writing the New Testament, right? So we're still working through a whole lot of stuff. And Paul's directions to these uh, new leaders seem to us sometimes to be very, very basic. But that's what you have to start with, right? If you're going to start a, a, a movement of Christianity, you have to start with the basics. So that's what we're talking about today. So the key thought today, uh, it's a direct quote from the Highlander, there can be only one. There can be only one, all right? You're either going to serve stuff or money or God. There can be only one. You cannot have two. At the end of every Highlander movie, at the end of every Highlander episode, there is one dude standing, and there's one dude's head that's rolling around on the ground. Right? So there can be only one. So verse 3, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome or healthy words. So teach otherwise. So this is the end of 1 Timothy. So Paul's summarizing everything that he's taught so far. He's saying, look, Timothy, you're a young guy. If anybody teaches something other than what I've taught here, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud. The, the Greek word means smoke or mist. He's just empty. He's worth nothing, uh, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes or questions or debates and arguments over words from which, in, from which come envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions. Verse 5 says, useless wranglings. Um, the idea here is that you are working and working and working and working, and it's empty. It's empty business. And I don't know if you've ever gone to your job, and you spent all day long doing something, and you're going, this is worthless. This is not getting us anywhere. I don't know why my boss assigned me this. This is totally pointless. Can anybody relate? Yes. Um, and there are times where we meet people and you're having a conversation with them and you want to go, is there a fast-forward button? Like that movie Click, you know, just like fast-forward through this and we're, oh, we're to the end. Thanks, great, see you later. That's wonderful. Well, that's the idea here is just empty business. Um, and this is all describing folks that put aside what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, and do their own thing. They replace it with something else. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute or robbed of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. 
a means of acquisition. So they use the theological things of the world to fill their pockets, right? So does everybody see that this is a problem? Everybody sees, nobody sees the problem. Does everybody see that this is a problem? There we go, okay, third of you, that's all right, we'll wake up. We'll do some simple math here in a minute and we'll wake you up, right? Maybe not, all right, so what does he say? He says, from such withdraw yourself. So this is the Joseph principle, right? So Joseph goes into Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife clings to him, and what does he do? He gets out of Dodge, right? He runs, leaves his coat there. He gets away from this, and that's what Paul tells Timothy to do. Just get away, because anybody that thinks they can do better than Jesus is not worth listening to, right? Sounds really basic, but Paul is setting these foundational stones of logic and of theology that the whole rest of the church's theology is going to be built off of. So verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Um, you know, sometimes we get to thinking that, that our physical possessions are all that, right? It's like, man, look at this. This is awesome. And so how many of you are wearing something made out of gold? Anybody wearing something made out of gold today? A lot of our rings are made out of gold. So you know what they've paved the street in heaven with? Gold, right? It's pothole filler in heaven pothole filler is the gold that we uh, value so much, right? There are hundreds of soldiers surrounding Fort Knox in Kentucky guarding pothole filler, right? So when we try to go, so is this really important in the, no, it's not at all. It's absolutely not at all. It's all going to burn up. Pothole filler, that's what it is. So verse 8, and having food and clothing. Anybody have a different translation for the word clothing in your Bible? There's a better word. Shelter, that's good. Anybody else? Literally, it's the word covering. The idea is that it's both your physical clothing and it's the roof above your head. Okay, so this, is, this talks about food and clothing and shelter. If you have these three things, with these we shall be content. Now, there are, there are verses in the Bible that I love to teach. There are concepts that I really get passionate and excited about. And being content with food and clothing and a roof over my head is a hard one to get passionate about, right? Because I'm probably sure some point in time today I have already not been content with food and clothing and a roof over my head. Right? Can anybody relate to this? Is this just me? Okay. Um, so this is very, very hard. It was hard 2,000 years ago when it was written. It is hard today. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich. So this word desire, it, the idea is that I have a purpose. This is my purpose. Um, I don't know how many of you feel like you have a purpose in life. Like this is what I was put on the earth to do. But these are people that feel like I was put on the earth to make money. This is my goal. This is the objective. This is a win. If I look back at my life, I get to the end of my life, and I see a big bank account, then I won. Okay, so that's the perspective here, and this is what this looks like. Those who desire to be rich, what's the next word? You're like, it's a blank on my handout, Jim. Yes, fall. Fall. It doesn't say might fall. It doesn't say may fall. It doesn't say kind of sort of going to stumble a little bit. It says fall. If you desire to be rich, we will fall. So what do you fall into? Well, he finishes that thought. 
you will fall into temptation and a snare. So, a snare, right? Another way to translate this in your handout is trap. It's a trap. Admiral Akbar. There you go. How many of you thought that when I said it's a trap? Anybody? Nobody? Who knows who Admiral Akbar is, please? There's like three hands, four hands. Caleb was so proud of me. I told him this morning. So I'm talking about Admiral Akbar. He's like, it's a trap. I said, yes. I've done well. It's awesome. Um, so those of you know what this is, right? This is a, uh, it's a trap, right? <laughs> it's also hard to operate because Bill Shadwick's grandfather found this in the woods when he was in his 30s. Bill Shadwick's already like 50-something, so that, that's an old dude, all right? His grandfather. And uh, my dad used to put these out. I remember I was never allowed to touch them. I'm not going to try to operate it this morning, right? Because <laughs> I don't need a safety incident in Sunday school. And my dad would laugh at me for the rest of my life if I injured myself on this, right? Uh, but the idea is that you, you push this down and the trap springs open and you put some food right here and you cover it up a little bit with leaves and an animal comes along, right? And an animal doesn't understand that what they are focused on is about to kill them, right? So the animal comes along, right? Bambi's prancing through the forest. Here we go. Everything's happy. And they step into this. And guess what happens? Bambi's done. <laughs> Bambi's got a real problem. And, and the idea is that Shadwick was telling me that his grandfather used this a lot. He said most of the time when he would go out and get the traps, the, the animal would not be there. The leg would be there. Because what would the animal do, Doug? The animal would chew their leg off. Because that's the only way out. Because when you're caught in a trap, there's really only two ways out. Somebody can let you out or you can chew your way out. And the same thing is true with the love of money, right? Somebody can let us out of that, God, or we can chew ourselves out of that. And look what the rest of this text says. It's awful. It's nasty. And into many foolish and harmful lusts. This is self-injury. This is hurtful. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. This word perdition is only used in, of two concepts in the entire New Testament. It's used to talk about hell, and it's used to talk about the love of money. And we go, well, that's kind of strong. Yeah, that's right, because it's a trap. It's a trap. It, so this, this perdition, for the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, this is stretching yourself out to get something and themselves through self-inflicted wounds, gnawing yourself out with many sorrows. So this idea that we're looking at, this picture of, of chasing after money, who wants to sign up for, let me summarize the whole thing. So the one that desires to be rich is fallen in temptation, broken in a trap, experiencing injurious cravings, drowning in utter destruction, straying from the faith, and torturing his own soul with consuming sorrow, pain, and grief. Yay! They don't sell you that on the MasterCard commercials, do they? They just say priceless. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. So Paul shifts gears, right? So verse 11, but you, O man of God, he's talking to Timothy, flee, that's an imperative, these things, and pursue, that's an imperative, these are commands, righteousness, godliness, faith, love. This is agape love. This is seeking the highest good of another. It's the absolute opposite of desiring money. Desiring money is seeking the highest good for me. 
Agape is seeking the highest good for somebody else, right? Love, patience, gentleness, verse 12, fight, another imperative. Uh, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on it. Grab a hold of it. Eternal life. And you kind of go, well, Paul's writing to Timothy, right? Does he have to really say lay hold on eternal life? Well, yeah, he does. Because the proof of our faith comes at the end of our life. Okay? And this is something that we, we have a real hard time wrapping our heads around because we get so hung up on the theology, and it is good theology, that if I repent and have faith in Christ, then I am saved. Yes, but your testimony, the proof of that salvation, come, and I'm looking at you, Cheryl, and I love it. I'm, I'm trying to get tore up. Comes at the end of a long, faithful life in a singular direction, right? So there's going to come a day when we put Mr. Charles Alexander in the ground. And... Uh, and there will be no doubt. There will be no doubt where he is, right? It has been a long, faithful life in the same direction. And he's saying, what does he say in this verse? He says, lay hold on eternal life. Do these things. Prove yourself to be faithful. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? You guys are just staring at me. Yes, this is a beautiful thing, right? Okay. I'm excited about this. This is the fun part of this lesson. Um, to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you once in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep another imperative, this commandment without spot, blameless, uh, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's always a good day when you get to say potentate, right? It's kind of wild. Who alone, you thought I was just going to skip over that, didn't you? I'm not skipping over that. Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So Paul kind of goes off on this squirrel tangent about Jesus. And in verse 17, he comes right back to this concept of uh, rich stuff. So verse 17, command those who are rich. So the rich is, are described in this passage as if you have food, if you have clothing, and you have shelter, you are rich. Here we go. Well, that's too low a standard because I don't feel rich. Well, we're rich. Everyone in here is rich. Okay, so that's who this is talking about. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud, not to trust in uncertain riches. Um, Robertson's New Testament word picture says, uh, riches have wings, right? Anybody ever experienced this? You had it one day, and then it's like, what happened? There was like this thing here, and now it's like not here. It's called the stock market, right? It just, boom, 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 just all over the place. So trust not in that, but in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Let them, so this is us, this, we are the rich. That's your blank. We are the rich. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give. So what's the blank here? You know it. What's the blank here? It's the word that no self-respecting Southern Baptist in the South wants to say. Let them be liberal. <sighs> we can't be a good Republican if we're liberal. Guess what liberal means? It means open-handed. It means open-handed. Uh, Where's Zeke at? Is Zeke in here? There he is. Who's, who's Harvey Pinnock, Zeke? Just some dude, right? He wrote this little red book, right? And it, Harvey Pinnock's like this golf master. 
he was a uh, teacher of golf for years and years and years, and people would come to him for asking for advice and opinions and his perspective on things. And um, he overheard a conversation that Sam Snead was having one day. Sam Snead is a legend in golf. If you don't know who Sam Snead is, go Google it. It's a pretty cool story. And uh, people would brag about where the calluses are in their hands from where you play, right? Because that should show you, are you holding the club correctly or not, right? So you're holding the club, and if your callus is here, that's good. If your callus is here, it's not. And so Harvey Pinnock's listening to this guy ask Sam Snead where the calluses on his hands were. Sam Snead said, I don't, I don't have any calluses on my hands. What do you mean you don't have calluses on your hands? Well, I hold the club like I would hold a live bird. Tight enough that it doesn't get away, but loose enough that I don't crush it, I don't kill it. And I think that is a great example of how we hold our riches, right? So we, we don't want it to just drop on the floor. There's a responsibility aspect here. There's a stewardship component to this. But, but gentle enough that, oh, you need this? Okay, no problem. Here you go. If it needs to fly away to somebody, let it fly away. That's okay. Um, so very gently, that's how we hold this. So willing to share. Verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So this concept of being true, this longevity of faithfulness is true for us as well. And then he finishes up the whole book, the letter in verse 20. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings of what is in contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. So that's the concept here. So I'm going to click play on this video that Justin recorded for us um, Thursday night. So I, I come today and I'd like to share my testimony on where I've come from and where I am today relative to the Sunday School topic for this week on the love of money, um, the love of material things. Um, just briefly uh, give a little bit of background on my testimony and come to saving faith in Christ uh, by the grace of God. I came to a saving faith at the age of 18. Um, by our world standards, um, I wasn't a bad kid by any means. I didn't have um, a very rebellious lifestyle. I was responsible, um, mature for my age, and uh, seemingly doing the right things. Um, but I certainly knew that I had a uh, knowing inside of me that there was more to life than just living day to day. Um, seeking treasure, seeking things. Um, there was something inside of me, um, and I firmly believe now that it was conviction of the Holy Spirit that um, was telling me that there was more to live for than just stuff and self. Um, and uh, Carrie, uh, who I'm married to now, uh, was my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, she persuaded me to uh, attend church with her. And obviously, I'm an 18-year-old kid. It's any opportunity I get to spend more time with my girlfriend. So I jumped on and said, absolutely. Um, so I uh, attended church uh, with her for several months. And she did her job. She got me in the door. And uh, from there, it was, uh, by the grace of God, the uh, working of the Holy Spirit and wise men in the church who were uh, being used by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to counsel me, um, to give me guidance, uh, to teach me. And uh, I just praise God for those men and for their willingness to spend time with me, um, most notably the pastor. Um, and, uh, a little later after uh, being there for a while, uh, I came to a, a, an understanding of my depravity and uh, subsequently a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, which I just praise God for uh, 
I wish I could say I did it daily, but, but I'm not that consistent. Uh, but I certainly am so thankful to God for those men and for the relationship that I have with, with Christ now as a result of their efforts. For the, the next six to seven years um, after I came to a saving faith in Christ, I'll tell you that um, I certainly wasn't anywhere near perfect. Um, I lived a pretty ho-hum uh, Christian life. Um, I uh, wasn't really maturing in my faith, but pretty stagnant, pretty stale um, in, in the things that I was doing. Um, wasn't consistent in study, uh, in prayer, um, anything of that nature. Um, and I certainly was not content um, in my faith with that being um, what I was living for uh, every day. Um, I still had a, a huge desire for worldly things, uh, for material things, for money. Um, and. Uh, not a lot had changed for me other than the fact that I certainly had a, a new um, uh, found conviction uh, of sin, uh, an overwhelming conviction uh, when I did sin. Um, I still had a ver very worldly view of life though um, and again my, my desire for things uh, and for money uh, was pretty much unchanged um, but I knew it was sinful. Um, I, would, I, I had conviction that it was sinful just not to the point that I was ready to let go of things. Um, Fast forward a few years, um, Carrie and I uh, got married um, throughout this uh, time period of that five to six years. Um, and like most other newlyweds, we were living uh, paycheck to paycheck. Um, but it wasn't because we weren't blessed to have great careers and, and financial stability. It was because I was selfish in uh, my spending habits um, prior to marriage and then after marriage as well. Um, I wasn't content. Uh, I was seeking for more, more, more. Uh, for house, you know, new cars, stuff, um, and uh, I wasn't honoring God with any of the things that He had already been so gracious and blessed us with. Um, we had a, a great home; it was perfectly fine. We had a reliable transportation. We had great careers. Uh, we were making, you know, enough money to do more than just get by. Um, he had blessed us very, uh, very much so, um, and. In looking back and, and um, examining, I, I see how he had just provided opportunity after opportunity for us to do things with the blessings he had given us, and I was very unfaithful in um, giving back to him um, outside of tithing. Um, and, and honestly, that was a function of Carrie being very disciplined with that uh, with that discipline, and uh, just praise God for her obedience there. Um, because it taught me a lot, um, and I'll speak further to that. Um, but again, we just I squandered opportunity after opportunity to do the right thing, um, to use the blessings He'd given us to further His kingdom, um, to serve, and to minister to needs that were out there that He had shown to me. Um, toward the end of that time period, Carrie and I began looking to move to Hickson. She was going back to school. We wanted to be closer to friends and family. Um, and subsequently we started looking for a new church home. Uh, we were 30 minutes away from our church when we lived in Fort Oglethorpe and it was tough to be disciplined to go, um, you know, outside of just Sunday morning, um, even to small groups that were located near the church and whatnot. So uh, we decided we were going to look for a church home in Hickson or the Hickson area. And I was letting, uh, I, was, I was so consumed with my desire for things and money and possessions that I was even letting that drive decision-making on where we were going to visit churches. Um, I had chosen one church that we were going to visit, uh, or we had chosen, but my uh, 
motivation was because of people who were going there, friends of ours, who um, I looked to as the model of what I wanted to be, what I wanted our marriage to be, but purely from a uh, materialistic standpoint. Um, nothing nothing uh, scriptural, nothing spiritual, nothing um, related to God's standard of marriage. It was my standard of what I wanted us to be. Um, and it was completely and utterly wrong. Um, and, uh, continue to praise God for Carrie and for, for what she um, has meant to me in my growth in this area because she was persistent um, that she wanted to visit other churches and continue to um, speak up about it and finally persuaded me to visit Stuart Heights. She was um, invited here through a friend from work, uh, Kathy Stewart, who uh, again I'll just praise God for her and for what she has done um, in inviting us here and um, just uh, the, the way the Holy Spirit just uses people is just amazing. Um, I, can't, I just can't describe how amazing it is. Um, but we came uh, one Sunday and we visited um, several weeks in a row. Um, and then uh, toward the end of um, those first few weeks, we were invited to a Sunday school class. Daryl introduced me to somebody in the hallway. Um, and I looked at him and I thought, who is this old guy? Uh, he's got to be 10 years my elder. Uh, lo and behold, it was Jim Fleming who's not that much older than me, but um, certainly uh, uh, look back on that and laugh now. Hopefully Jim's laughing now as, as I'm telling this, but uh, we got involved and plugged into his Sunday school class. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it seemed like we were doing the right things and, and on the right track, but, but I still had this overwhelming sense of desire for more things, more stuff, more money. It wasn't enough that we were, you know, plugged into a church and, and going to Sunday school and uh, meeting new people, uh, but I, I just, that was all secondary to me um, and to my desire. Um, but I look back and I see how God was working uh, in several ways uh, throughout that course of time to surround me with the people that He needed to surround me with to break me um, of of this uh, sinfulness um, and to help me put down my love of money and love of material things and I'm just so grateful for uh, his faithfulness uh, for his work uh, in that way um, it, it, I began to start putting into perspective um, how blessed uh, we were um, and how blessed I was um, in, in watching um, and seeing some of the people that God was putting around me and the way that He was using them. Um, and most notably, um, opening my eyes to uh, my wife and to the content, the, the pure content that she had uh, for, for exactly what we had um, and nothing more. Um, we slowly started to get more plugged in um, beyond Sunday school with softball. Um, I got involved in softball. Uh, we started attending social gatherings that the church put on. Uh, we got plugged into a small group, a great small group, um, uh, some relationships that uh, we forged that um, we'll always be very grateful for, um, lunch meetings with uh, various people um, in the church who sought us out for relationships, um, or me specifically, um, with some other uh, godly men um, in the church. And finally, uh, God was actually starting to reveal to me uh, that plan that he had been working on and how he'd been surrounding me with the people uh, that, that he had been. And we had an opportunity um, with a couple of other families to split off and forge a new small group. 
Um, there was growth in the church. Uh, there was need for additional small group leaders. And one of the men in our group stepped up and decided he would be a leader uh, of a new small group. And so we, we split off with him and decided to start a new group. Um, and, and this is really um, where perspective changed for me. Uh, this is where um, God opened my eyes um, at this point to uh, my selfishness and my sinfulness uh, with regard to uh, a love of money and material things. Um, I began to develop very close relationships with um, a couple other wise men um, who were in this group um, who uh, certainly had much more um, wisdom and uh, knowledge of the scripture than I, I feel like I'll ever have. Um, and I began looking into their lives um, by getting close to them through this small group and seeing uh, how they were molding their family and shaping their family and, and allowing God to work through them and uh, particularly with regard to their contentment for what they had and being blessed and using what they had to glorify God um, in different ways and opportunities to serve Him and further His kingdom. Um, the first study that we did uh, in this new group was The Purpose Driven Life, uh, which I'm sure you're all familiar with by Rick Warren. And I can't point to a specific time or a specific page in the book that jumped out at me and said, Justin, you've got to fix this. You're, you're, I'm breaking you. The Holy Spirit telling me I'm breaking you. Um, but I can tell you that it was extremely clear to me um, over the course of that study, um, looking at you know why we were created to, to glorify and to honor God and, and not to seek you know the most out, and you know I have a uh, a race to get the most stuff at the end of you know life. Um, you know, it's cliche. There are no hearse hauling U-Haul uh, trailers behind them, um, and that's so true. Um, and so wish I would have come to a realization of that earlier because I've um, squandered so many opportunities. Um, but praise God that they that, that He still provides opportunities today to um, to. to use what he blesses us with uh, to do things here and now. Um, so, uh, a little off track there, but I realized how selfish um, and sinful my love of money and desire for things was um, through the course of this study. Um, I was broken hearted, truly broken hearted um, at how I had wanted um, to do, to, to, to acquire so much and to have so much more um, and how much time and effort I had spent pursuing worldly things and material things um, and I, I just those things are so trivial and so insignificant in retrospect so uh, just pray I praise God for his revelation um, his perfect timing um, I'm not sure that I was mature enough um, to fully grasp and understand the concept that he was teaching me here um, had he been working on me in, in this same way three four five years prior um, I, by no means am I saying he couldn't have um, but I think that uh, his timing is absolutely perfect. Um, so over the next few months, um, I began to see how uh, truly blessed we were, Carrie and I were, with material blessings, with things that, that God had given us. And uh, it was time to you know, be the leader in our family that I was supposed to be as the husband um, and eventual father, that we were going to use the, the gifts and uh, blessings that he'd given us to... Um, honor him, um, to give back to him. 
um, he was re he, he was revealing opportunities to me um, as a result of uh, I firmly believe as a result of a changed heart and a changed mind and um, a renewed um, vigor for serving him that uh, he was he was then revealing opportunities for us to do things with those resources he'd given us and um, yeah I could I could name off several um, in just a matter of seconds. Um, but uh, you know, opportunities to open up our home, opportunities to give to uh, specific needs in the church, opportunities to give to specific missions, um, to go and to serve in missions, um, to, uh, to to open up our home, to bring people in um, who needed a home, um, just different things. And I'm just so blessed and so uh, uh, grateful to him for allowing us to be a part of his work um, because he's the hero. Uh, this isn't this isn't Justin's story. This is God's story um, of how He broke Justin and, and used Justin. Um, and I just am so grateful um, for the way that He turned uh, my heart upside down there. Um, certainly uh, wasn't perfect in, uh, in obedience at this point, um, but there was an absolute difference um, in my mind um, and in my uh, desire for. Um, things or lack thereof at this point. Um, different perspective, whole different perspective. Um, so fast forward from there um, several years, three years roughly, and um, over the last one to two years, one and a half to two years, um, I'll share with you where I am now. Um, so I sit here and I give this testimony um, and I have an overwhelming sense of conviction um, about where I am now and have been for the last one and a half years, almost two years now. Um, uh, my spiritual uh, maturation has been um, halted basically over the last one and a half years to two years um, relative to this specific uh, uh, place that God had gotten me to um, with a desire for serving Him and using the things that He's given us to glorify Him and uh, not always seeking more, more, more. Um, and I haven't necessarily squandered opportunities to use what He's given us. I'm sure that we have, um, if I sit here and analyze it. Um, but I, I, uh, I believe we've been faithful um, and that I've been faithful in leading our family in that regard. Um, but I've also been sinful um, in a standpoint of a desire for more things and a desire for um, more money um, and, and certainly no, no wrong in desiring more things for your family and um, more financial stability but it wasn't about that um, it, it's been about a selfish desire for things um, so with that said um, you know, I haven't been living with a true sense of contentment uh, as described um, in first Timothy 6 so uh, I'd like to just leave uh, with a couple of comments um, about that uh, and, and where I uh, am today. Um, material gain does not produce contentment. Uh, realize that, perfectly understand that, and hope that anyone who might be struggling with uh, the same sin or has in the past uh, might just understand how perfectly true uh, that statement is. Um, secondly, uh, our contentment uh, is found in the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Nothing can even come close to comparing with that. Um, and it is only 
through realization and constant reminding myself of that fact um, that that I'm going to be able to um, to put down this this you know sinful selfish desire that uh, that you know eats at me um, and so uh, lastly um, all that we strive to accomplish uh, here and now um, should be pointed toward an appreciation for that truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all and furthermore glorifying God with what he's given us because of how faithful he is to us and what he has done for us. Uh, lastly, I, I'll tell you that I, I pray for um, a renewed contentment uh, in my own heart um, and an ability to put down um, that desire for more things and more money, um, but rather uh, see a continued conviction um, from the Holy Spirit piercing my heart um, of that sin so that I can uh, grow uh, closer to God and maturing more and more, uh, putting off that sin. So thank you. I appreciate your time. Now, those of you that know Justin, uh, he and Carrie are in Gatlinburg this weekend, and uh, he tried to bail out on me by saying, I can't, I can't talk about that because we're out of town. Like, they have these things called video cameras. It'll be okay. You know? And uh, so those of you that know Justin, he was absolutely, completely terrified to do that in a room by himself. Um, so tell him next week that you appreciate that because that's a big step for him telling that part of his story. That's a big deal. And we, we need to tell our stories. Um, so a couple of things real quick and then we're done. We want to make sure you got your blank there on the application. Material gain does not produce contentment. It just doesn't. Uh, we think it does, but it really, really doesn't. Uh, number two, loving money and things is both visible and invisible. You might be one that has a really good front Right? It looks like everything's okay. It looks like I'm, I'm a giver. I'm, I've got it all, and it might be internally. I am prideful, and I am wanting to hoard things, and it can be both. It can absolutely be both. Uh, and number three, we cannot do better without God. We absolutely cannot do better without God. I have no power to change myself. So what do we do with that? Well, number two there, confess the visible and invisible sin and get accountable with a brother or sister. One of the things Justin did, you, you heard that this behavior started to change when he entered into small group life, right? When somebody was looking him in the eye and keeping him accountable on a regular basis, stuff started to change, and that's how this works. Uh, and then number three, ask God for help to hold your riches lightly, to hold your riches lightly. Uh, liberal means open-handed. It means what I have, you have access to, uh, and that's our goal. So, also, I'm going to leave you with one recommended reading. Uh, John Wesley's sermon, The Danger of Riches. There's actually going to be a link to it on the website already. If you're ready to get beaten up by a 140-year-old sermon, this is it. So when you think you're kind of like, okay, I think I got this handled. Go read this, and he'll knock us down a couple notches and bring us back to reality. It's really good stuff, though. So, thank you for coming this morning.